0: Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 23 through 29. Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word, and when the fa- and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. Amen.
1: Amen. So we're continuing in our series on the Lord's Prayer, and last week Lindsay Hankins led us so beautifully uh, through the petition to give us our daily bread. And uh, if you if you miss that teaching, I encourage you you can jump online; all of our teachings are available there. But our working theory, as we start with this the, the Lord's Prayer, is that in this prayer, the very heart of God is revealed. That God's heart that we would know uh, ourselves in right relationship to Him. Jesus begins, and He invites us to His own special relationship to the father and he says when you pray you can pray these words our father jesus is saying just as the father loves me so he loves you and so god wants us to see that everything begins with right relationship To God, our Father. It all starts from there, and then it flows from there. For us to relate rightly to Him is to hallow His name, to understand that, yes, He is in heaven. He is our King that is enthroned on high. But the heavens are not distant or removed. The heavens are a place that are as near as the air that we walk in, as the air, as the wind as it blows upon our skin. He wants us to see that then, as he is enthroned, that we are too long for his kingdom to come. And the way that that kingdom comes, the first thing Jesus says is he says, that, would you uh, provide daily bread for those who are in need? He says, give us our daily bread. We need you, God. We need what you are doing in our life. But we also know that as we pray our Father, We don't pray alone. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for those in our context. For us, we are right here in Princeton. If you were to drive 10 miles, you you run into food deserts. And so for us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, we do not pray that alone. But we pray that in light of everybody who is in need in our context. And we pray that on behalf of the world. And so now we come to the next petition in Jesus' revolutionary prayer. Forgive us as we forgive others. Grace is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We are a people who by the sheer grace of God have received forgiveness. And here Jesus is telling us this gift, that grace that you received, that you, that you received in such abundance is not something for you just to hold on to. If you try to keep it for yourselves, this forgiveness, this grace, this gift will wither and die. This grace has been given so that you might cultivate a life where the forgiveness, the flow of forgiveness from the Father to us, does not stop with us. But rather, we are conduits of God's grace to those around us, to the world at large, but often, really, when we talk about forgiveness, Usually it's not the people out there that we're having to concern ourselves with forgiving, is it? Usually it's the people closest to us. As the psalmist says, the one who has shared my bread, the one who has shared the table with me, has betrayed me. And so when Jesus asks us to forgive, he's not inviting us to some uh, sort of nice reality, right? Like we all know that forgiveness is something that we should do, and we read these stories, and we'll read a couple of them today, where we see forgiveness in action, and we see how truly beautiful it is, right? And we see how overwhelmingly impossible it seems sometimes when you're like, "Wow, how could they do that?" But Jesus is inviting us to exactly this kind of kingdom reality where forgiveness is not just an idea, not just a a reality that we hold in our heads, in our minds, but a reality that we live out with our very lives. And so today, we want to continue in the Lord's Prayer. We want to look at Jesus' prayers for forgiveness. And my hope for you today is uh, a couple things. First, I hope you'll see that forgiveness is not simply another rule that we have to follow. Like, God didn't just change the rules and say, okay, now, instead of, you know, not killing, you know, following the Ten Commandments, don't steal, instead of those things, you have to forgive in order to earn your, your way to right relationship and right, um, right posture with me. That's not what's going on here. Jesus isn't saying, okay, now here's the new paradigm, the new setup that we're setting this up. Jesus is saying that the only way to the full life that I have for each person is through healing, is through reconciliation. Often this reconciliation is costly. Often it is painful. But this is the way to life. And so Jesus isn't saying, okay, you either forgive or you are not forgiven. What he's saying is, is that in order to live into the full life that he has for us, we have to cultivate a life where God's forgiveness works in us and then through us. So that's the first thing I'd love for you to walk away with. Um, second, uh, and this really goes hand in hand with the first, and we'll see this. Forgiveness is not an end unto itself. And many of you who have had to forgive, have had to say those words, or have had to take that posture in your heart, you know that it may feel fine in that moment, but then you wake up tomorrow. And what does forgiveness look like? a week later, a month later. And so as we talk about forgiveness today, I hope that you'll see that God is not saying, okay, like you have to just close your mind off, um, completely shut down what's happened, that it's just a nice way of saying, let's move on. It is what it is. Now, Jesus is much, much better than that. And so the second thing I'd love for you to see is that Jesus is inviting you to a journey of forgiveness, not simply a destination. Um, The third thing, and sometimes this is the biggest struggle that we have, is you have to allow yourself to be forgiven. You have to allow God's forgiveness to work in your life, and we'll see how this plays itself out in a couple of different ways. So Jesus says in this prayer, in his Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us as we forgive. And in Matthew 18, Jesus, as he so often does, happens to have a brilliant story that uh, that goes alongside this beautiful prayer. And so he begins in verse 23. So we're going to move over from Matthew 6, where the Lord's Prayer is found, to Matthew 18. And uh, the words of the scriptures will be on the screen behind me. If you need those, I'm going to read this over you. Jesus asked Peter in verse 21, he says, Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I'm so glad you asked, Peter. Not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times, which is just a, like a, another way of saying a lot. Okay? And Jesus is saying that the that, that forgiveness will be continuous. And then he goes on. Jesus tells him a story in verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. So there's a king, he runs the kingdom, and there's a slave that owes him a ton of money. And we'll see just how much that is in just a moment. But this slave is brought to him. And as he could not pay, it says in verse 25, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and i will pay you everything and out of pity for him the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt so jesus tells the story of a slave who is in deep debt now we we can't get a sense of just how much the slave owes just by us reading the story but historians suggest that this slave owes something like a zillion dollars just some made up number like he owes so much money you you kind of wonder what this slave has been up to Like, what's he been doing with the king's money? But he's been having a good time. And now the king says, oh, wait, there's a lot of money missing. And he brings this slave to account. And he says, "Um, excuse me, I think you owe me something, right? And the slave falls on his knees begging for mercy. Because the king says, I'm going to have to throw you in prison. There's really no other way. But as the slave begs for mercy, the king grants it. And so I don't know if you saw the video going around on the internet the week, this week of billionaire Robert Smith uh, at the end of his commencement address to the students of Morehouse College proclaiming that he would pay off their entire school debt, that every member of the 400-person graduating class was going to get their school debts completely wiped out. Uh, if you watch The Office, it's like if Scott's Tots was a real thing. It's estimated that this will total about $400 million for 400 students. Now, we could have another conversation about why it costs $40 million to educate 400 people, but that's probably for another time. Now, some of you are probably hearing that, and you're, you're, you're filled with this deep sense of, Oh, good for them. Oh, so great. Uh, and that's called envy. That's another sermon as well, but we'll talk about that some other time. But what Robert Smith has done for these students is completely incalculable, right like sure he's we could we could put a monetary value behind it, but he has freed them up from this from this debt. Have you ever had a debt that was just kind of crushing you like it does it has it has psychological impact, it has physiological impact, you can feel it in your chest, and what Robert Smith has done in this in this beautiful expression of hey, I have." you don't, here you are, and say that you are forgiven. And he frees them up. And the first thing that we see about forgiveness is it, it is about freedom. It is about God extending his forgiveness to us, freeing us from the burdens. And in the same way, Jesus tells the story in Matthew 18 of a king who frees this terribly indebted slave from the burden. Have you ever had a moment like this? I hope you have. I know some of you may be sitting here and just like, I feel that weight you're describing, that, that pain you're describing. I feel it right now. But have you ever had a moment where a debt was forgiven? Have you ever had a moment where somebody forgave you? They released you from that slavery of feeling like, oh, I've, I I know I've blown it and there's nothing I can do other than to put myself at your mercy. Have you ever had a moment where you just thought you were in really big trouble? And somebody was like, hey, yeah, you messed up, but. It's okay. It's a great feeling, right? So Jesus tells the story of this king who in no uncertain terms liberates this man. And if this was the end of the story, cool story, we could all go home. But unfortunately, there is more to the story in Matthew 18. But that same slave, Jesus continues, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. So the slave has left the quarters of the king, right? He was with this king. This king has just extended him this incredible mercy. Like this guy owed like the 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 prod the gross domestic product of a G8 nation. Like this guy had so much debt, and this king's like, listen, you're not going to be paid off anyway. You are released, and so he leaves the king's quarters and he's walking down the street and he sees a slave who owes him money, and you might think that slave's feeling pretty good at this point. He's like, you know, I was just forgiven this big debt. This guy owes me money. It's cool. But that's not what he does. Instead, he grabs the other slave by the throat, and then he says, you need to pay me right now. And then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him and says, have patience with me, and I will pay you. The ironic thing is this second slave says exactly the same thing as the first slave. So he, say, he begs for the same kind of mercy, and he says, Have mercy on me! And, you know, again, the first slave has a different response. But he refused. Then he went, and he threw him in prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. So Jesus tells the end of the story and we see the hypocrisy that is enacted here. And Jesus, as he so often and so carefully and so brilliantly does, is just saying, listen. Insert yourself into the story. Listen for what be, might be being said. The king is not pleased and has no, this time has no mercy for the slave. But notice a couple things about this story. The first slave receives mercy from the king long before he is expected to extend mercy. This story does not begin with the first slave being expected to extend mercy. We are not expected to extend mercy until we experience mercy. The king grants the slave unconditional forgiveness and then expects this slave to live a life that is consistent with that forgiveness. And in the same way, Jesus, on the cross, as he says, Forgive them, Father, as as he gives his life for the whole world, Offers us, every single person in here, unconditional forgiveness. But it is not inconsequential forgiveness. Did you hear that? It's unconditional. It is without warrant from any of us. Jesus does it. And the Hebrew says, For the joy set before him, he endures the cross. Jesus wants to forgive us. This is who he is. But it is not inconsequential forgiveness. Forgiveness, friends, is a gift. Unconditional, freely given, but it carries consequences for the way that we live. Jesus here is setting up a paradigm of the gospel. We receive from God. He gives of himself abundantly. He lavishes his love upon us. And therefore, and only then, we are expected to give away unconditionally. It's not that God is saying that He will only forgive to the extent that we forgive others. No, the cross shows us that God's forgiveness always far precedes our own and far outruns the forgiveness that we offer. Now, I think of it this way. Have you ever had a you ever been to a buffet? Just like the food is there and you walk through the line with your plate? My dad used to work at a place called Ryan's Steakhouse, which you know sounds fancy enough really it's a it's an environment where they have everything from like prime rib to tacos to jello, and it's all just laid out, and you can eat as much as you want for the low price of like twelve dollars and um, a lot of people do take them up on that, it turns out. Um, but if you've ever been to a buffet, you you probably understand that's usually not the finest cuisine in our culture, right? Like, usually you're not like, okay, I'm going to go to the country kitchen. And that's like, that is the meal that I have signed up for. Um, I went to Brazil uh, during my sophomore year of college. And I will say, if there's a culture that's doing the buffet thing right, it is the Brazilian people. Um, They just eat meat, different cuts of beef, and they just bring it to you and they shear it off. If you've ever been to one of those Brazilian steakhouses here in America, They're a nice, like, it's a copy, but it's not the real thing. The real thing is beautiful. And, like, really, like, there's some mixture of weeping just at the beauty of the meat being carved and, like, meat sweats just like, okay, I think I've had enough now, but I'm going to keep eating. Now, buffets in our society, our culture, are not usually the finest cuisine. uh, But imagine with me that you went to the best buffet literally ever. It was like some, somewhere between like a three-star Michelin-level uh, culinary endeavor or I guess if you're like really into this, like a, the most amazing food truck. And you could just eat as much of it as you wanted. But you were the only one eating. Like all this food laid out for you. And it's only for you. Like a buffet for one right, very American, and yet, might be kind of weird, right, tables of delicious food, and when you're the only one, you're like, okay, it starts out, this is pretty cool, but at some point, there's going to be a diminishing return, right, like at some point, you're going to start feeling very much in pain, and eventually, you're going to move from beyond pain to just like wanting to uh, crawl in bed and die, and forgiveness is kind of like that, right? Forgiveness is a feast. But a feast is a waste unless it is shared. When we make a beautiful expression of of just like this is what I want to I want to share my table. I want to make something that that means something to me and then you get to invite friends to that table. This is what forgiveness is like. Forgiveness is a feast where Jesus prepares the table. He makes the guest list. And when we start denying people forgiveness, we start crossing names off of Jesus' guest list. And you know what I think? I think we grasp this. I do. I think we long for this. I think we ache for this. But what about when we have something to forgive another person? What about when we have to forgive someone who has wronged us? Sometimes they have irreparably taken something from us. Sometimes they have put our career or our family in jeopardy. Sometimes they have abused us. What do we do then? Because forgiveness is a nice idea, but what about when I have to extend it? Yes, I want to take Jesus' forgiveness. Yes and amen. But what about when, even when I know, even when I know I should forgive and I just don't want to? What then? I imagine a lot of you can relate to that. Uh, this past year, I wrestled personally deeply with unforgiveness in my own heart. Wrestled deeply with, um, you know, and I'm a pastor, right? Like, I know. Like, I have the theological paradigm. Like, I understand what God is, it wants from me. Like, I've read Matthew 18 a couple times. Like, I know Jesus is saying, like, you have to forgive. But I was hurt. I was hurt and I felt justified in my anger. Sometimes that can be the worst thing, right? When you know you're right, when you know that you've been wrong and you just want somebody to hear your side of the story, right? I was deeply in pain and I would go through this these gymnastics where I would feel like, okay, I've forgiven, cool, cool. Then I'd wake up the next day, have a little thought, or I'd be on a run thinking about something, and all of a sudden that little thing would pop up again. It's like, no, I'm still really mad. I'm still really hurt. Navigating, relitigating, doing this, this thing over and over again because I just didn't really know what to do. Because I know I knew I should forgive, but when I, even when I felt like I had forgiven, it, it felt like it would come back so soon. And I wonder if you can relate to that. That perpetual cycle, that, that way that it systemically reappears, that, that sense that you've been wronged and that there's something off in the moral fabric of the universe. And I love, in the context of Jesus' prayer, that the line that immediately precedes our focus for today, as we say, forgive us, Father, as we forgive others, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. You see, the impulse to feel that forgiveness should be a once and for all moment is not at all a bad one. Friends, Jesus has forgiven you on the cross fully and finally. He yells out on the cross as he's being crucified. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then with his last breath, he says, it is finished. Jesus does not wake up thinking differently about you every day. He feels once and the same, and he reveals it on the cross. He says, this is who I am. I love you so much that this is the life that I am pouring out for you. Jesus doesn't have to go through this. And so when we feel that impulse to say that forgiveness, I I should forgive and it should be over, but I I still keep coming back to it. When you feel that impulse, you're being like Jesus. But here's the thing. When we look at our own experiences with forgiveness being difficult, it's easy to think that we're doing it wrong when we feel like we forgive. And then, you know, a couple days later, a couple weeks later, we circle back to the hurt. But the Lord's prayer is a signpost. It is saying, this is what it looks like when God's kingdom comes. It is inviting us to start living in the world as it will be in heaven, right here, in the right now. And it's inviting us to see that for every moment of our lives that we need God. That forgiveness is just as much about our daily bread as the things that we consume, as the things that we need. Jesus is saying, you need me and you will never stop needing me. And this is the heart of the prayer, the life that Jesus is inviting us into. He's saying God has not set up forgiveness like with some sort of trust fund and say, well, you've got to steward it. You've got to be, be careful with it. He says, no, you lavish the, the, the forgiveness that I have given you upon the world just as God lavishes his, his love and mercy upon us so that we might, through the grace and power of his spirit, be able to do the same to those who have wronged us. McCarty, you can put that picture up. On the evening of June 17, 2015, a young white man heartlessly and savagely and racially murdered Clementa C. Pickney, Cynthia Marie Graham Hurd, Susie Jackson, Ethel Lee Lance, DePayne Middleton-Doctor, Tawanza Sanders, Daniel L. Simmons, Sharonda Coleman-Singleton, and Myra Thompson as they met at a Bible study at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston. I say their names because I think numbers can be so dehumanizing. Nine beautiful souls gathering around the word of God, thrust into the cycle of violence and racism that has plagued our nation since its inception. And two days later, two days later, at the arraignment of this murderer, the victim's family members stood up and they looked him in the eyes and they addressed him. Now you might think what you might say to somebody in that situation, somebody that had taken something from you like this. But they looked him in the eyes and one of them said, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never ever hold her again. But I forgive you. And God have mercy on your soul. This was Nadine Collier, Ethel Lance's daughter. Tawanza Sanders's mom, Tawanza Sanders, was 26 years old. Felicia Sanders stood up. She said, "We welcomed you Wednesday night into our Bible study with open arms. Tawanza Sanders was my son. Tawanza Sanders was my hero. Tawanza was my hero. May God have mercy on you." DePaine Middleton doctor's sister then spoke. I acknowledge that I am very angry. But one thing that Payne always enjoined in our family is she taught that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. I pray God on your soul. Two days after this heinous and horrible crime, the members of this incredible church and the victim's family members through blurry eyes and trembling lips sound a lot like Jesus, do they not? As they acknowledge their incredible pain and yet say the words, I forgive you. And listen, what I'm not doing here is saying that these people are forgiving somebody who murdered their families. Surely what you're going through must be, must be less than that so you can just get over it. I, I, I find that so, um, so dehumanizing when people are like, well, people have it worse. So get over it. It's like that, that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not what I'm saying to you this morning. Jennifer Pinkney, the wife of Clementa Pinkney, the pastor of Mother Emanuel, in an interview was asked about what forgiveness looks like. And this is a couple of years after this incident, after this horrible tragedy. And she said, You know, sometimes I feel like I teeter totter. But I know that it, meaning forgiveness, is the right thing to do. Friends, forgiveness is not cheap, it is not easy. And God telling you to forgive is certainly not telling you to get over it. The theologian Stanley Hauerwas says it this way, "...to forgive and to be forgiven is not some crude exchange bargain to get on with life, but rather to participate in a political alternative that ends our attempts to secure our existence through violence." When you see the members of Mother Emmanuel and they, they have been um, inflicted with this horrible violence, it would be so easy for them to respond in kind. It would be so easy for them to respond and say, you took this from me and now we're going to take something from you. But they don't do that. They choose a different path, the path of grace, the path of mercy. And the path of grace, the path of mercy, friends, even though it is Jesus, even though it is his life, Jesus extends his grace on a cross, Guys, extending grace to others is never easy and never cheap. And Jesus embodies this with the way that he gives of his life for us. So if you're struggling here this morning, if that's you, if you're reading all this, you're like, yeah. I know I have things to forgive. I know I'm in pain. If that's you, can I give you freedom to struggle on that journey? Can you see that your prayer to forgive us, Father, as we have forgiven others, is just as much about your daily bread as your prayer for sustenance, as your prayer for the things that you need? But can I also invite you into a practice? Pray these words daily for the next week. Pray them over this person. Forgive them. Name them if you need to. Jesus is telling us that another reality is possible because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Forgiveness is not some hopeless ideal, but is a reality of grace. Peter asked the question, Lord, how many times must we forgive when we are wrong? And Jesus says to him, As much as it takes. He's not holding some incredibly absurd number over our heads. He is saying that this is all impossible unless you walk with God unless you know that you need him just as much as you need him for your daily bread, as you need him to be able to forgive, you will hit your limits. But in the Lord's Prayer, we see that God gives of his presence without limits, that our Father in heaven draws near to us, providing daily bread and making the impossible miracle of forgiveness possible in our lives. So will you just pray over that person? Lord, forgive them. We do it every day. As much as you long for daily bread. And when you invite Jesus into that struggle, Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was murdered. Jesus was crucified. And in that, he's not saying like, oh, look, look, the worst things happened to me. You guys will be okay. No, he's saying that in that, that through the worst of human betrayal, through the worst of human violence, God overcomes that God kills the things that are the worst in us in order to resurrect us to new life. This is who Jesus is. He's is not saying, get over it. He's saying, I have taken your pain upon my shoulders and I have overcome the world. Take heart, friends. And as we wrap up today, we focused a lot on forgiveness and our own struggles to extend forgiveness. But the last struggle is perhaps the most elemental. We have to allow ourselves to be forgiven. Now this involves believing a couple of, uh, two truths really. The first is the truth about God. That God loves you. That the Father so loved you that he gave his only son on the cross. That God loves you so much that there is nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you could ever do that will outrun his forgiveness. There's not something in your past that he's holding on to and saying, well, I can forgive everything but that. That Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. That this is the reality of who God is, that he loves you. You have to believe that is true about him. The second thing is you have to believe the truth about yourself. The, the truth that Jesus says that we need God, that you need him for daily bread, you need him for forgiveness, you need him to to cure and heal your own soul. That we need his life for us. We can convince ourselves of so many things. We can convince ourselves that we're not that bad. Like, you know, like, I'm a good person, right? And Jesus comes and he says, I am the only good person. I am the only person who lives this out perfectly and beautifully, And what do we do to perfect love? Well, we crucify it. And this is, our hearts are bent towards this until Jesus comes in and extends his healing and his forgiveness. And so we have to believe the truth about us is that, yeah, we may be all right, but God is calling us to more, that he has more for us. We have to believe that we need Jesus because it's so easy in our culture, especially for those of us who have enough to live on, it's so easy to forget that we need God. It's so easy for us to convince ourselves that our bank accounts or our education or, or the things that we've accomplished are going to be enough for us to save us. And Jesus is saying that they will not save you. Jesus is saying, you need me. Stan, Stanley Haueros again says, to learn to be forgiven is no easy lesson. Desiring as we do to be our own master, if not creator. But to be a disciple of Jesus demands that we recognize that our life is a gift. A gift that requires, if we are to live in a manner appropriate of our being a creature, our willingness to accept forgiveness with joy. Jesus says that you need me. and Part of that is believing the truth about God, that he loves you as much as he says he does. That he loves you as much as Jesus reveals to us on the cross. The other part of that is believing that we need it. Believing that God has done something beyond what we could ever do for ourselves. Friends, forgiveness is available to us this morning. Not just to us to receive, but to us to give. And that is a miracle. It is God working his kingdom near in our lives. Let us pray. Merciful God, you are abundantly gracious and good. God, we ask that your presence would make it possible for us to see that forgiveness is not some absurd reality, not some impossible demand, God, but it is the very heart of your kingdom. You have the very heart of what you came to bring into our lives. God, for those of us who are holding on to hurt, God, for those of us who are are wearing this daily, God, would we see that you come alongside us even in the worst pain, God. And you are bringing your presence, God, that brings healing, that brings life. But in that, there will be a release, God. There will be a moment where we release our pain, where we release our suffering to you. And even more so, where we release those other people who have inflicted that pain from their bondage to us. God, would you give us grace and mercy to see that you are present and near here this morning. We love you. It's in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit com.